0: Everyone, welcome to What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. In consideration of the January February LD topic, Resolve States Ought to Eliminate Their Nuclear Arsenals, I have brought Robert Spalding onto the show. Dr. Spalding, welcome to What's the Res. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. So, Dr. Spalding is a senior fellow at the Hudson in, at the Hudson Institute. He received his Bachelor of Science and Master of Science degrees in agricultural business from California State University, Fresno, and holds a doctorate in economics and mathematics from the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Spalding has served in senior positions of strategy and diplomacy within the, within the defense and state departments for more than 26 years, and is an accomplished innovator in government and a national security policy strategist. As senior director for strategy to the president, he was the chief architect of the framework for national competition in the trump administration's national security strategy that is all from the hudson institute and i will be sure to link the rest of the profile below for your review so dr spalding first and foremost i wanted to thank you for your service in um, the u.s military in the what was it it was the 509th operations group correct
1: Yes, that was the uh, that was group that I was uh, commander of. But uh, yeah, I spent a lot of my time in the B two community.
0: Okay. Would you be willing to tell us about um, your time in the military and what your role was?
1: Yeah. So I uh, joined uh, the Air Force after college, uh, and back in 1992, and uh, went to pilot training in 1993, and flew the first airplane I flew was a B fifty two, and then I went from there to fly the B two, and along the way. went to study in China as a scholar and uh, worked um, China stuff uh, while I was in the military and, and but mostly most of my time was spent flying the B2.
0: Okay. And would you be able to give us some um, so I know you I um, encountered your article about nuclear weapons and how they're actually an instrument right. for peace rather than war. Could you give us a background on nuclear arsenals as they stand in the world today? Where does the world lie? When it comes to holding nuclear weapons.
1: So, you know, the, the, the weapons, uh, because of the START treaty, are about um, the way they're calculated. They're about 1500 for both the, the Russians and the United States. And then uh, nobody really knows how many of the Chinese have because they don't advertise that. Um, but there's some, there's some interesting things about the way the numbers are calculated for the Russians and the, and the Americans based on the START treaty itself. So, for instance, each bomber is counted as one weapon, but each bomber can actually uh, carry more weapons. I think the whole point about um, uh, nuclear arsenals today is uh, they were at some point um, – the United States arsenal was somewhere around 32,000 weapons. So we used to have a lot more weapons and that were a lot more powerful uh, and some of them were um, you know essentially um, you know um, you know had designs that that um, were quite hot um, based on the design. So I think all of that has been retired from the inventory. We have very um, safe and uh, and secure and and really, I think what would be considered a modest arsenal today compared to where they were during during the height of the Cold War.
0: So it sounds like we've downsized as time goes on and we had a lot significantly. more significantly. Okay.
1: Yeah, significantly. And really, you know, nuclear weapons are, you know, in that article what I write is that, you know, prior to the invention of nuclear weapons, uh, we had just come through, you know, World War 1 which uh, saw many millions killed and then World War 2 where almost um, you know, anywhere from 70 to 100 million were killed. And um, ever since then, the amount of fatalities due to combat or conflict have have dropped dramatically as countries, major countries like the United States and the Soviet Union or Russia avoided war because of the really the terrible risk of, uh, of nuclear weapons in war.
0: So I was actually going to ask about that too because that's a really interesting point. Are there any um, examples worth noting where nuclear weapons have prevented certain military escalations, where things could have gotten a lot worse?
1: Well, um, it, so there's a, there's actually a book uh, ma- uh, written by uh, – it's called Thinking About Defense. It was written by a Lieutenant General uh, Glenn Kent. He is an Air Force mathematician, and he was tasked with figuring out during the late '50s how much money would cost the United States to protect the population. You know, using a a, um, a ballistic missile defense shield for the United States. And I think one of the things that he figured out was um, we could we could protect the United States, uh, but it would be um, incredibly expensive and essentially bankrupt the the country, because for every dollar of offense that the, that the Soviets added, we would have to add six dollars of defense. And so um, that uh, led to what was properly known as a mutually assured destruction uh, policy of the United States. And so what that did is essentially allow the United States to instead of um spending billions of dollars on a missile shield to was to create an offensive system and tell the russians essentially if they ever attacked us or europe that they would um it would be um we would use everything and so what that allowed the united states to do is then focus on because of that fear of the use of those use of uh, those weapons it allowed the united states to focus on things like the eisenhower national highway and um, so we used to have STEM education grants for um, scientists and invest in research and development and our manufacturing base. All of those grew actually the economy during the Eisenhower administration, and so it was a, it was a way to both uh, protect the country by deterring conflict with the Soviets, but at the same time focus. Um, if, if you if you talk about economics, there's a discussion about guns versus butter, and it really. Allow the United States to focus its investments on butter over guns. And so it seems like counterintuitive that such a destructive weapon would be – would pro- provide benefits. But it does – because the weapon is so terrible, it does provide an element of fear to leaders to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't consider conflict. We should consider um, you know, competing in different ways.
0: So it sounds like this is a case where um – the best offer or the best defense would be a good offense. Am I correct in saying that? That that's that's a good way to put it. Yes. Okay, and it sounds like this has also saved us not only a lot of trouble when it comes to military conflict, but a lot of money um, with all those different projects that you were naming too. So you could that you could see that as an added benefit to um, maintaining nuclear arsenals. Right. And, you know, the, the weapons were used for deterrence
1: very early on, um, e- even before the Soviets had weapons. Uh, the, the U.S. moved bombers, B-29s back then with nuclear weapons to Guam um, during the Korean War to prevent, you know, the Chinese from attacking um, uh, Taiwan uh, during, um, during the Berlin um, um, blockade. Bombers were moved to London to prevent the the Russians from attacking uh, Europe. So they have been used before as as weapons that are designed to prevent conflict. And I think the best use of the military, and uh, this is where I think Eisenhower was quite wise, the best use of the military as a deterrent for conflict, not actually uh, to be conflict. That being said, you have to have a credible capability. And it had you have to have the will to use it, and that in those two things, credibility and uh, willingness to use them, really is what is the key to deterrence.
0: So that's really interesting, and um, and it seems like the the more dangerous the weapons get, the higher level of deterrence that we see. So that when you put those two things together, you would get better de- better defense, better offense, and you would save a lot of money in the process. So this seems like a triple win for the for any country that could have nuclear arsenals, which raises the question, why have states downsized so much when it comes to the um, size of the nuclear arsenals?
1: Well, because I think what, what you find, and this is certainly the case with the Chinese uh, who relies on a, on, on a um, theory of minimum deterrence, that essentially... Um, one weapon can take out a city. Nobody wants to see a whole city be destroyed, and so really, um, even having one of those weapons be used could be devastating for a society. And so, it really, I think, once that, um, once that was realized, and, and once um, both, in particular, Soviet Union and United States, recognized that. Um, having so many were not really economically um, required or militarily required. It, it allowed them to kind of back off on the number of weapons. And the other thing that happened, quite frankly, is this disengagement, this, um, this diplomatic engagement that allowed for you know, essentially an increase in trust. You know, as long as a, as a society like the Russians, who are actually quite paranoid um, with regard to the West, uh, can feel like they can protect themselves by having a capability to use the weapons, and they're then they're more than likely just to um, just to not want to fight.
0: So there's a point where nuclear weapons would be really good for deterrence and really good for defense. But then there's also an extreme where it comes to or where it really comes down to this is overkill, and we don't need this many nuclear weapons because they're just that right. powerful. Right, and that also so that reminds me of when you were saying that so how are these calculated again because you said that one bomber can hold a multitude of weapons correct so you would say that the um, current numbers are sort of a general guideline for how many nuclear weapons we actually have that's just
1: just because of the start treaty i think there's something called the new start that uh, that is being contemplated which may who knows may take numbers down further but um what there, I mean, there's a lot of discussion about what the numbers should be. I think what, what you don't want is um, to get your numbers down so low that it encourages a country like Iran or China to really um, build a bunch more weapons so that they can um, uh, essentially um, have more than you. I and mean, the idea is really to prevent this, this constant arms race. And so I think we're, we're trying to get to a number that makes sense but isn't overkill.
0: Okay, so it seems like the the biggest problem or the biggest issue here is finding what that magic number is, or at least for each individual state that has nuclear weapons so that we can be the most economically effective and defensively effective. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. so if nuclear weapons are this valuable, do you think that there's any room or do you think that total elimination of nuclear weapons will ever happen?
1: I don't think so, because um, the challenge with um, with nuclear weapons is, you know, the the knowledge of how to produce them. You know, that being said, it's a it's a very um, involved industrial uh, process that's required to refine um, the, the, the weapons uh, material. So it's it's easy to, to recognize when that's taking place. So, you know, I think um I don't foresee a time in, in in my lifetime when they will go away. I think um, the thing that might um, uh, result in their in, in their disappearance would be some capability that would allow us to very efficiently protect, you know, very economically protect the society from it. So that's kind of where um, Reagan's uh, Star Wars idea was: if we could come up with a defense shield that was economical and, and affordable. Uh, that really negated the, the ability to use nuclear weapons and maybe that might be um, – uh, that might allow us to get rid of them. And, and, and I think in that case, then creating a missile shield for the entire world that you know, pro- provided this kind of protection for everybody from nuclear weapons might lead to a world where we could just get rid of them. Um, and I think that would be, that would be a good thing.
0: Is there any sort of protection um, that fits into this category being developed right now, or is that just not a foreseeable thing for the near future? Well,
1: I mean, right now, the the things and the things that they looked at um, in Star Wars that had um, potential for something like that would be some kind of laser-based system or directed energy system where, um, you know, it's essentially just... um, the use of electrical power that drives these these things, and, and their their cost is such that you can have enough of them to be effective. I think that would be really, to me, um, what what you're looking at. And so, um, could you have a space-based system that was like that? I, I think it's conceivable technologically. Um, we're just not we're not there yet.
0: Okay, and do you think even if we are unable to eliminate all nuclear weapons for all states, like all states globally. Um, would the world be a better place if nobody had nuclear weapons, even if it could possibly lead to escalated military conflicts on a different level? Well, I mean,
1: I think you <laughs> you have a lot of violence even without nuclear weapons um, today. And so I think nuclear weapons are, um, are certainly... Um, terrible in terms of their destructive capability but in terms of all the things that we spend uh, a lot of our time on you know things like curing cancer or um, environmental degradation or you know labor exploitation I mean there's all kinds of things that that are challenges to our societies um, and uh, require that we you know come up with innovative solutions so I mean it's it's a noble, it's a noble um, cause to want to eliminate nuclear weapons. I think for me, though, uh, I don't want to see another war like World War II. Uh, and I and I certainly don't want to see the United States um, be um, put under threat of, of a state that has nuclear weapons and then us not have the ability to say, hey, if you attack us, we're going to attack you. So to really deter that conflict. So until we get there, you know, it's it's really difficult to—, um, to um, really focus so much effort on eliminating nuclear weapons when there's so many other things that could also be we could be focused on fixing
0: right and when you consider not only just the sheer magnitude of nuclear weapons but who has nuclear weapons in power at a given time do you think that they could potentially lead to our destruction as as the human race or just massive destruction in general and is it possible that these weapons could make it into the wrong hands and that they're just too dangerous to to give um, an individual control over.
1: So, first of all, like I said, um, creating nuclear weapons requires a really big industrial capacity. You know, um, it, it's, it's a my, a finite. If you're if you're enriching uranium, there's only um, th- there's so much of that that has to be done. Uh, that the 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 level of investment in in building of facilities required is just really enormous and easily uh, easily um spotted and so um, it's not easy to, to to make a nuclear weapons program um because of that that being said you know it it um it is easy to tell uh where the weapon was built and so each each industrial process creates its own signature um marker if you will and so we have the capability to determine precisely where, where and who um, essentially constructed the weapon, particularly the material. And with that capability, you can go back and, into the origin country and say, OK, this was your responsibility that you left this material. So what the United States does, in addition to having the capability to detect where the material was created, it goes and it works with countries like Pakistan and India and in uh, China and others to make sure that they they have a safe, secure, and reliable nuclear arsenal. They have, um, you know, they have uh, safety and security procedures that ensures that um, the weapons aren't used or uh, stolen. So it has um, it does a lot of work in working with other, even if they're not allies, uh, working with other nuclear armed uh, countries to make sure that they're that their um, nuclear weapons are safe and secure and not um, not subject to being lost or, or stolen or damaged in a way that could create hazard for people. And so when you put those things together, the, 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 all the, the trouble we go to to make sure that other nuclear arsenals around the world are, um, are secure, uh, to make sure that we have the capability to uh, detect where a weapon, who manufactured a weapon, or at least the material that went into a weapon, and then um, and then go to that country and say it's your responsibility. So it's, again, it's about deterrence. We create if we have the capability to to identify where the weapon came from, and we have the capability to punish that nation if they allow their nuclear material to to um, get out of their hands. Then it, then it, uh, and we also give them the assistance. Uh, then the know-how needed to make sure that their weapons are secure, then you have, um, I think, a good, um, um, good control over the stockpile. And certainly one of the things we did at the end of the Cold War was buy a lot of these weapons from the former Soviet Union and, and go around the, the former Soviet Union and make sure that there wasn't weapons that could fall into the wrong hands.
0: Okay. So it sounds like there's a lot of protections in place. And even with these in place, could you envision a scenario where a leader, maybe like Kim Jong Un, would make a poor decision with these weapons that would warrant their eliminating or do you think that these protections would suffice in keeping everyone safe to a de- to a I would say like an an adequate degree, I don't know if that's the right word, or to a um a reassuring degree perhaps? Well, I think
1: for Kim Jong-un, he um, would essentially seal his fate if he ever were to use a weapon. The weapon he has, uh, any weapons he has are are essentially to ensure the survival of the regime. And so um, it's kind of counterintuitive that he would use them, which would lead to the immediate destruction of the regime. And and certainly a nation his size um, facing the arsenal that the United States has um, it just it, it's not something that I think what what we what tends to happen is um, these leaders are essentially made out to be crazy. But there's actually some very sane uh, methodology behind their um, wishing to get these weapons. That being said, you know, the United States does works very, very hard to make sure that uh, weapons aren't proliferated. and. Uh, in the case of the Koreans, in the case of the Pakistanis, um, you know, we have um, countries that have deliberately assisted them. And so the United States works very hard to, to expose and then do everything it can to prevent the, the proliferation of the weapons. And, and we've been very successful so far. And I think the most important thing is the United States has, um, has a, a good track record of being um, a reliable partner. Uh, Democratic partner. And, and so a lot of our allies and partners uh, forego making their own arsenal because they know that the United States is there to, to back them up. So that's one of the ways that the United States prevents the spread of nuclear weapons in addition to just really making it hard for countries like Iran, for example, to have an industrial capacity by putting um, you know sanctions on that that really prevent them from getting the access to the materials and other um, resources they need to do it
0: and if one of these weapons were launched would we have the ability to defend against it I'm just wondering what um, current defense measures are in place for for like the worst case scenario so we do have
1: um, some um, weapon systems in place we have regional based uh, weapon systems. Um, you know in the theaters uh, like in the Middle East and like in uh, mostly ship based uh, in um, in Asia but we also have a, the ground based missile defense uh, system uh, that is designed to take out ICBMs that, that come from um, you know kind of like one off from areas like Iran or North Korea uh, so you know, they're not designed to stop a massive attack from Russia or China. They're designed more to stop the, the lone missile and, and I think uh, can be uh, very, um, you know, effective if used properly. Uh, so yeah, and, and we're, I think we're improving those um, uh, as we speak. So it's more designed for the, the isolated incidents than it is for massive um, strikes. And therefore, I think would address the point that you make about the the, the danger of a rogue um, attack.
0: Exactly. So that makes it a lot more reassuring because it seems like for the for the countries that have more nuclear weapons, we have good r- good enough relations with them and um, protections put in place against some sort of nuclear pr- proliferation. And then for the more rogue countries, we seem to have defenses in place that would be able to address that well. So I can I can see how. Um, how all that sort of fits together to make a more safe picture. And, um, and as you were saying before, and as you wrote in your article, to reduce military conflict as well. Right. So sort of to go off of that, are there any more um, resources that you would recommend debaters look at to learn more about this topic and gain more context from it?
1: Um, there's actually, um, I don't have it here, it's, it's downstairs, a book called The Nuclear Weapons Effects." That's really an interesting book. Uh, and can tell you a lot about how nuclear weapons are made, you know, the, the whole the process. It even has calculations to design, to, to, to understand kind of the, the how um, damaging they can be and what are the effects, and it's a really interesting book with a lot of uh, uh, formulas in it that really tell you a lot about nuclear weapons, and I think it's, it's very useful to understand kind of how hard it is to make a nuclear weapon, just physically hard, um, and, and also to understand kind of what are the, the effects of it. I think when you start to read that book, you start to realize that, you know, these are very bad weapons. But at the same time, um, they are um, they there are things that we can do to um, to to protect ourselves.
0: OK. And then and there's far- and
1: then there's um, then there's uh, certainly. Um, books that talk about the the, um, the policies of, of the governments, and that's just history books talking about the history of the Cold War.
0: Okay. So I think that's a good note to close it on, honestly. So Dr. Spaulding, thank you so much for joining us for the interview today. It was a pleasure to have you. We appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. It's great to, great to talk to you.
0: So if any of our listeners have any questions, you know you can email us at whatstherez at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstherez underscore, or go to our website, www.whatstherez.com. Make sure to check out the link there for premium debates. We've got some really good stuff coming in the future. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth.